You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Uh, but hey, I would love it if you'd open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6, or if you have a, a phone or a technology with you, you could turn on your Bible app this morning. We're going to spend uh, just a little bit of time in Exodus 6. As you're doing that, uh, I'm going to pray for us so uh, you can keep getting there. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's the second book on the left, so Genesis, Exodus. You don't have to get uh, too far in there, but let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into God's Word this morning. Father, we come to you in the great name of Jesus, and we thank you for today. Uh, God, I pray as we gather in this place that more than anything what would happen is, is that you would meet with us, that you would be here with us. Uh, God, that what we need more than anything is to hear a word from you. And so God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would be with us. God, that your truth would come alive to us. And God, that we would be people this morning who would see you for who you are, that we would worship you for who you are and what we've done, and that we would leave here walking in joyful obedience to you, Jesus. So God, we need your help to do all that. We ask that you would show up in a mighty way. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, hey, this is kind of week one in this brand new series, and so uh, if, you, if you watch uh, like Netflix, like I just started last night with my wife, uh, we, we watched a brand new show with Jim from The Office, except now He's an action hero, and it's awesome. And so this is, this is kind of episode one. This is, this is kind of the, the beginning, and so I'd invite you uh, to come back. In fact, what we're beginning today is actually going to kind of launch us into the next couple months of study together. Uh, and so uh, what we're talking about is the promised land and, and really what that means for us today. Uh, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this. Now, you have to bear with me because most of you probably know more about this than I do because I went to public school and didn't pay attention. But uh, Newton has some laws that have to do about physics and life and science, and his first law is this. It's that an object at rest stays at rest unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Now, ladies, you all know this to be true because there's a man in your life, and at some point he sat in his lazy boy recliner, and you know to get the man in rest, out of rest, he needs a push, right? You know, you know this to be a fact. There has to be an unbalanced force, uh, which is usually you. I don't think Newton had this in mind, but in my life, uh, that's coffee. Like in the morning, there's at rest. It needs some sort of push to get out of rest, and that's normally coffee. But he also goes on to say this. He says that an object in motion stays in motion but with the same speed and the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Uh, this is why we can't fly, even though we want to. Uh, is because you can jump, but there's this unbalanced force called gravity that pushes you back down. And uh, it, it's probably a good thing because once we launched, it would just be bad. We wouldn't be able to get back. And so uh, Newton says, hey, th th there's this thing about force that sometimes we need a little bit of extra force to get moving. And the reason that none of us can jump 12 feet in the air is because there's actually force uh, pushing us down. And you'd say, Pastor, why in the world did we talk about that? And it's because this. is all throughout the scriptures, God has a habit of taking people from where they are and placing them or leading them to be where he wants them to be. In fact, if you think of it this way, faith, our belief and our trust and our confidence in God is actually always supposed to be in motion. Uh, you think about it maybe from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, uh, a God calls a guy named Abraham and he calls Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave the place you are, and I'm going to take you to the place I want you to be, but you have to be willing to trust me and follow me. That faith is always an activity. It always involves movement. Uh, interesting enough, that's what Jesus says to the first followers, right? When he meets the disciples, he says, come and follow me. That faith always leads us into action, that our belief in Jesus, our encounters with God actually launch us and propel us and change the direction of our life. In fact, if you really think about it, the church is always supposed to be on the move. The church isn't about four walls or a building. The, the church is a group of people who love and trust and believe in Jesus and who are on a mission to take the gospel starting here to the ends of the earth. Which means, if we think about it, that as God moves his people, 
he also changes the world. Like, let's, let's really bring that down and say it this way, that as God moves you and me, and as God moves in your life and as God moves in my life, he intends not to just change us, but he intends to change the world. In fact, maybe we see this most clearly in the Old Testament through God's relationship with the nation Israel. That, that's what God promises Abraham. He says, hey, I'm going to make your family into a great nation. They're going to be so big, so vast. It'll be trying to like count the grains of sand on a beach. There'll just be too many of them. And what God promises him is not only will he have many sons and many daughters, and there'll be a nation, but he actually promises them a land, a physical place that they will dwell and inhabit, and it will be theirs. Uh, the problem in Exodus chapter 6 is not too long after God made that promise, the nation of Israel actually finds themselves enslaved in Egypt. And life for the Israelites is really marked by four things. Uh, their life is marked by death. Uh, their lives have very little value. Uh, they're kind of worth about as much as they can contribute to the nation of Egypt. Uh, the life expectancy was, was really short. I mean, I mean, if you think about it this way, uh, no one in the nation of Israel was worried about their 401k. Uh, nobody was saving up for college. Uh, nobody was planning next year's vacation because all anybody wanted to do was try to make it through the day. And each day was marked by slavery. Uh, that they were oppressed, uh, they were given jobs, they were beaten, they were whipped, they were hurt, unless they conformed and did the job they were supposed to do. And once their bodies were broken and they were unable to perform their tasks, they were usually disregarded. We can imagine would lead to a, a certain level of hopelessness. There's no hope for the future, no plans for the future. You can almost imagine that even the joy that most parents would experience in bringing a new child into the world wasn't joy because they knew that their new child's life would be marked by death and slavery and hopelessness. Like nobody really was excited about celebrating their next birthday. In fact, the nation of Israel felt forgotten, forgotten by the world, forgotten by people. In fact, one of the things that you could, you could go to see in scripture is that uh, the nation of Israel as a whole had forgotten the promise that God had made to Abraham, that he had promised to be their God, that they would be his people, and that he would lead them to the promised land. You could almost imagine that at a family meeting at night, somebody going, but don't forget, God has promised us. And people going, we don't believe that. Like, look around. What evidence do we have that God's working? What evidence do we have that God would lead us to the promised land? And yet what God did promise Abraham is that he would lead his people, the nation of Israel, to a place where they would be a great nation, that there would be no nation that could oppose them. That they would be given a special land, a land that represents who God is and the promises that he's made to that nation. In fact, the scriptures say in several places that, that God would provide them with homes that they did not build, vineyards that they did not plant, fertile soil that they couldn't earn or deserve, but that God was providing for them. Sometimes in Scripture, the promised land is referred to as the land filled with milk and honey. And you might be lactose intolerant and not like honey, but what it means is that it's so fertile. There's so much fruit. It would be like somebody is saying, hey, I'm going to give you a farm, but I'm not just going to give you any farm. I'm going to give you Edward's apple orchard. There's going to be honey crisp that you didn't plant and there's going to be staff making donuts for you that you don't deserve. It's land of milk and honey. And see, this is important for us as we kind of jump into this today because one of the things we have to know about God is that God is both a promise maker and a promise keeper. That all throughout Scripture, God makes promises. Sometimes they're called covenants, but God is a promise maker, but he's also a promise keeper. God always keeps his promises, always. And see, one of the things that we have to feel a little bit in the tension is that it's not always in our timing the way we want it to be, but God always keeps the promises that he's made, even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when we look all around our lives in the midst of the disaster, in the midst of the storm, even when everything looks as though it's falling apart, God is always at work and always achieving 
in working towards keeping the promises he's made to us. And so for the nation of Israel, while they're toiling, while they're suffering, while there's hopelessness, while they're just trying to make it through the next day, behind the scenes, God is working. Like they didn't realize that behind the scenes, God had saved this little boy's life named Moses, that his mom put him in a basket in the Nile River, the place that was a, a place of death, becomes a place of life. That when all of life is going to hell in a handbasket, Moses is in a basket and actually accomplishing what God desires. That this little boy Moses, the son of Israelite slaves, would get adopted into Pharaoh's royal family. And that God would be working and moving to accomplish exactly what he wanted to do. And he chose Moses to be the leader. He chose Moses to be the mouthpiece. He used Moses to go, hey, I'm going to do what I promised my people I'm going to do. And you're going to help with it. And in Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 6, God makes a promise to Moses, which is actually a promise to the entire nation of Israel. And I want you to hear this this morning because these promises are still promises that God makes to you and to me today. He says it this way in Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 6. He says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Now what some people say is that God made four promises, but the way I see it is God made five promises. Uh, the first promise, number one, is this, is that God says, I am the Lord your God. And that God promises them a relationship. But he says, hey, I'm going to be with you. You're going to be my people. Like, we're going to have this relationship. And I think it's really important because the rest of the promises don't matter if this isn't the first promise. Like, because what, what can happen is we can kind of try to treat God like a cosmic vending machine. You know, we walk up. We try to do the right thing. We try to hit the right combo. I want A38, and I want the results. And God says, no, 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 it's not about just what I'm giving you. It's about having a relationship with you because I'm the Lord. Because you're my people, because we're going to have this relationship, I'm going to make you some promises. God always keeps his promises. The, the second promises that he made us is the promise of salvation. He says to the nation of Israel, I'm going to save you. I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'm going to get you out of Egypt. And you know that you can't do that on your own, but I'm going to do it for you. And God promises them salvation from the oppressors, salvation from those who enslave them, salvation from those who kill them. He goes, I'm going to get you out. I'm going to save you. And not only does he promise them salvation, but he promises them freedom. And this is huge. God says, listen, I'm going to set you apart. The Old Testament language for this is that God would be their deliverer. That God doesn't just want to get them out of Egypt, but God was also wants to get the Egypt out of them. Like, hey, it's not just about your physical location. It's also about your heart. It's about your soul, and it's about your mind. That Egypt was not a great place to live. It was filled with false gods, pagan worship. The idea that you had to be really religious, that the gods were kind of evil, and you had to appease them to get their attention, and you had to jump through hoops and do the right thing in the right way, in the right order, to maybe get them to work on your behalf. And God says, no, I want to get Egypt out of you, and I want to get heaven into you. And God tells his people, hey, I'm going to have a, such a special relationship with you that the way I work in you, the things I do in you will actually set you apart. So listen, I want to get that pagan worship out of you. I want to get that bitterness out of you. I want to get that hopelessness out of you. And I want to get heaven into you. And see, God doesn't even stop there. He says, listen, I also want to give you purpose. Because for most of your lives, for generations, you've been living a life of slavery. And God says, listen, I don't want you to be slaves. I don't want you to be slaves to sin. I don't want you to be slaves to anger. I don't want you to be slaves to addiction. I don't want you to be slaves to bitterness. And I definitely don't want you to be slaves to Egypt. God doesn't just want to save us from some things. God wants to save us to some things. He goes, listen, there's some things I want to put in your life. I want to give you joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I want to give you purpose for your life. 
He tells the nation of Israel, listen, you've spent your whole life building buildings and statues and things that don't matter to you, but you could actually live your life with such purpose that there would be meaning in everything you do, even the little things would have purpose. And I love it because we don't necessarily see it, but in the original language, what God's doing, if you really read the Hebrew, is he's saying, I'm going to deliver you personal. I'm going to get you out of here personal. But then at the very end, he changes it. And if we had to pick a a word that really fit it, it'd be the southern word, y'all. As God would say, you know, I'm going to make this personal, personal, personal. But as I do it in your life, and I do it in your life, and I do it in your life, as I do it in your lives together, you know what happens? You become a family. And so the, problem's not, the promises aren't just individual promises. What happens is the promises becomes a corporate promise that says, hey, I'm going to do this for y'all, that y'all are going to have salvation. Y'all are going to be delivered. You all are going to have purpose. You all are going to be a family. And God tells them in Exodus that he is going to take them from death and slavery, from hopelessness and forgottenness, and he's going to lead them to the promised land. And this morning as we, we get started this, with this, you go, hey man, this is all really great. And like, I know this is a Bible story, but there's also some, some history and some archaeology that would say, yeah, this, this really happened in history, but you would say, hey pastor, uh, that sounds great, but I am not held in captivity in a foreign country. I'm not a, a slave. Like my boss or my parents maybe sometimes make me do things I don't want to do, but at the end of the day, like I'm not a slave. Like that's not my story, and you're right. But what also is true is that God remains the same. He's the same today, tomorrow, and forever. And see, what hasn't changed about God is that God is still a promise maker, and he's also a promise keeper. And so for you and I on this side of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, God's best for us is always found in Christ. That we always get God's best when we hear Jesus' words. We always get God's best when Jesus shows up through the power of the Spirit. We always get God's best in His Son, Jesus. And see, the same promises that God made to the nation of Israel are still promises that God makes to us today. But today, the promise keeper is Jesus. I I love the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. He says, For the promises of God find their yes in him. Talking about Jesus. He says the promises, for all the promises of God, find their yes in Jesus. Paul goes on to say, this is why it is through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. Have you ever wondered why when people pray, they usually say something like, hey, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, or, or at the very end of the prayer, you go, hey, I'm praying to God the Father, but somehow we always kind of say, in Jesus' name, amen. You, know, you ever wonder why you say, in Jesus' name, amen? It's because Jesus is the one in whom the promise is fulfilled. So, so we get to say, hey, Jesus, uh, hey, hey, Father, you made the promise, and Jesus keeps the promise, so here's the prayer request, and, and the very last thing we want to say is in the name of Jesus, because he's the one that keeps the promise, amen. You see, God makes those same promises to you and to me today through Jesus, that God wants to lead us to the promised land. And what that means is God still wants to save us through Jesus. And this time, God doesn't want to save us from Egypt. What God wants to save us is from ourselves and from our sin and from the wrath of God. That every single one of us sins. And I know that's not popular. I know most churches don't talk about that anymore. And I know that even hearing the word sin, you go, I don't sin, I make mistakes, I mess up. The problem is a mistake is something you do once or twice. Like, once you perform the same mistake over and over and over again, you at least got to say it's not a mistake anymore. It's at least a habit. And if you can't break the habit, then what's up with that? And at the end of the day, we don't make mistakes. At the end of the day, we have a sin problem. The Bible says that we have sinned against God. And we sin against one another. And the reality is, is because of our sin, because we sin against God, rebel against God, because of our disbelief towards God, because we choose our way over his way, because we choose our desire over his desire, it says that we actually deserve 
the wrath of God. That you and I don't deserve anything good from God, but by His grace, He gives us His best and He sends His Son, Jesus, who dies on the cross in our place for our sins. And God doesn't just promise salvation. That's the starting point. He also promises us freedom. In Galatians, Paul says, Jesus set you free for freedom's sake. Jesus is like William Wallace in Braveheart. He's fighting for your freedom. He doesn't want you to be a slave. He doesn't want you to be a slave to sin. He wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to be a slave to fear or a slave to addiction. He doesn't want you to be a slave to unforgiveness, a slave to bitterness. He doesn't want you to be a slave to this world. You were made for more than binge watching Netflix, staring at your phone, working just to pay the bills. You were made for more. He said, Jesus came to give you freedom because he loves that you're free. And see, folks, I would invite you to dig in for the next couple weeks because I believe that as we study God's word over the next couple weeks, that God wants to set some of you free from your fear. He wants to set some of you free from your addictions. He wants to set some of us free in our marriages that haven't been going so well. He wants to set you free from the unforgiveness. He wants to set you free from the bitterness. And he wants you to know his love, his grace, his mercy and his joy. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I want to give you salvation. I want to give you freedom. But I also want to give you purpose. That Jesus doesn't want to just get the hell out of you. That Jesus wants to get heaven into you. And that he wants to give you purpose. And like, let's just be honest. You can lean in for a second. And, and you can claim this is maybe for your neighbor. But aren't we all looking for purpose? Like, am I the only one in the room that at the end of the day I want my life to matter? Like, we all want purpose. And like, we've been told that your purpose is found in your 401k. Like, we've been told that your purpose is found in your job and the accolades and climbing that corporate ladder. We've been, we've been told that, you know, finding your, your purpose is in the new car and getting the greatest and the shiniest and the, and the bigger house and the new dog. And if you could get more money, and, and it's not... Because let's be honest, if that stuff was going to fill us up, wouldn't we all be satisfied by now? Like, wouldn't the last purchase have, have filled that void in the soul if it was going to do it? The next one's probably not going to either. And that God wants more for us, more than just punching the clock, more than just paying the bills, more than just a stay-at-the-home mom trying to make it through the end of the day. You see, God wants to take all of those things and give you through the power of his Holy Spirit purpose that you can still go to work but now you go to work when I bring the kingdom of God with me I go to work and I don't really like my boss but I don't really work for my boss because now I do all things for the glory of God like I'm working for him and with him and for his glory and even the stay-at-home mom going, listen, I don't want to clean that up again. I don't want to do laundry again. I don't want to make dinner again. I don't want to wipe the baby's butt again. I don't want to do all this again. That you have incredible purpose. That God has given you a job that you are raising and loving your children in a way that makes a matter in their life and the lives of others that you're building the kingdom of God right where you are. That God wants to give you such purpose that you would know that God has placed you where you are right now so that you could make a difference where you are right now. You don't have to wait six months. There's not a 30-day trial period. God wants to use you where you are for his mission and for his glory. And then lastly, God wants to give you family. Like one of the things that's beautiful in Scripture is that when everybody, anybody comes to know Jesus, if you're a guy, you're called a son of God. If you don't know God, you're actually called a son of wrath. If you're a girl, you become a daughter of God. And without that relationship with Jesus, you're considered a daughter of wrath. And the adoption is on God's heart that in Christ, through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, we're actually adopted into his families as sons and daughters, that we have access to our father, that he puts a ring on our finger. We bear his name. We're part of the family. 
Which means I, I maybe fear God like I fear my father, but I don't fear him like I, I fear some king that I don't know because he's my daddy, but he's also the king of kings. That he loves me and he wants what's best for me. And sometimes he even disciplines me because he doesn't want me to grow up to be a bratty adult. He wants me to grow up to be a mature follower, a son that he's proud of. So sometimes he blesses me, but sometimes he disciplines me for my own good according to his will, his truth, and his glory. But it also means this. It means corporately we become family. That we believe the church exists best when the church exists as family. They go, listen, what happens to you happens to me. What happens to me happens to you. So when you're doing awesome, I'm doing awesome. But when you're hurting, I'm hurting, and vice versa. That nobody goes through life alone. And that's why over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Fast family, adopting these girls and saying, hey, if you can contribute to support them, if you want to go above and beyond in your giving and make a small donation, you should do that. And you go, why do you keep talking about that? Because we're family. Because if they're going through it, we're going through it. And like at the end of the day, don't want you want that for you, that if you are going through something, we bring it in front of the church and go, hey, they need a little bit of help. And you know what the church is? It's not just a worship gathering, but the church exists. It's family. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to really dig into this. That God makes these promises to the nation of Israel. He makes these promises to you. And he makes these promises to me. And he keeps his promises to us in Christ Jesus. So come on, church. Over the next couple of weeks, let's dig in. And let's discover what it means to be in the promised land. And what we're going to do today is we're going to have a couple ways to celebrate this. The, the first thing we're going to do is uh, we're going to take communion together today. And as we take communion, this is really what we, we celebrate. Is that uh, the nation of Israel every year would celebrate the Passover. And see, one of the ways that God led the nation of Israel out of Egypt is he performed miracles and curses upon Egypt. And there was one where the Spirit sent the angel who would take the firstborn son from every home because Pharaoh refused to let the nation of Israel go. But to God's people, he said, take a lamb and slaughter it and put the blood of the lamb over the door and the angel of death will just pass over your home. You go, why in the world would he do that? That's so weird. It's because it was a trailer for the coming of Jesus. That is the one who is coming, the lamb who will be slain, that his blood, his blood will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. So death and so judgment and so wrath would simply pass over you. But this is why Jesus, before he's taken to the cross is celebrating Passover in the upper room with the disciples. And as they're celebrating the typical Passover meal, Jesus says, hey, I want to give you a, a new focal point for this whole thing. He goes, you know, normally we, we take this bread and we break it. And he says, but now when we break this bread, I want you to know this isn't about Egypt anymore. This is about me and you. He says, when you, when you break this bread from now on, you know what I want you to think about? I want you to think about that my body will be broken for you. And then Jesus passed the wine and says, hey, I know normally we have this whole kind of thing we do, but from now on when you, you take the wine, here's what I want you to know. It's a covenant, it's a promise that I fulfill with my blood for you. That my body was broken and my blood was shed so that you might be forgiven, so that you might be saved, so that you might be delivered and set free. So every time we take communion, we celebrate that Christ has died in our place for our sin, absorbing the wrath of God that we deserve. But we also celebrate that Christ has risen, that even though he was dead and buried for three days, he rose on the third day, and death had been defeated, that Christ has conquered all. He conquered Satan, he conquered sin, and he conquered death, and because he rose, one day we will raise with him. And we celebrate and we live with expectation that Christ is coming again, that he loves us, and he's with us, and we desire to walk in joyful obedience to him because he's coming like a thief in the night. It could be tonight. It could be a thousand years from now. We don't know. All we do is honor him and bring him glory with today. And then we do it all again tomorrow. So as we kind of uh, wrap up our time together this morning, what we're going to do is take communion together. 
is a way to kind of really live this out, that God is the promise maker and the promise keeper. Uh, at Redemption Church, uh, on one hand, the communion table is an open table. Uh, you, you don't have to be a member here. There's not like a secret handshake or a secret decoder ring. Uh, you don't have to go to any class or have some special certificate to take communion here. In the other sense, it's a closed table that the only requirement for communion is that you actually put your belief and your trust that you have repented of your sin and believe in Jesus as your one and only Savior. And if you believe in him, then we celebrate him. The scriptures actually tell us not to partake in communion if we don't believe, that we would actually drink judgment upon ourselves. Why celebrate something we don't really believe in? But if we believe in Jesus, he says, I just take these normal things like bread and like juice, and I make them into something greater. That every time you would do it, it would be a way to say, hey, Jesus, I have sinned, and I continue to sin, and I'm aware of it, but I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need a relationship with you. And I'm asking you to continue to make me new like you want me to be. And so that's what we'll do today as we take communion. If you're a believer, we invite you to take communion here. If you go, hey, that's just not me, then you can let it pass. And there's no judgment. Nobody's keeping a record of who does and doesn't do it this morning. And maybe you've just recently given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've said yes to him, put your trust in him, and repented of your sin. Then we invite you to make today your first communion and just take, take it. Go for it. Uh, parents, if there's children in the room, you're, you're the pastors of your home. You know your kids and where they stand. They believe in Jesus and love Jesus, then let them take communion. But if you think, hey, they're not ready yet, then you just let it go by, and that's totally fine. Uh, we're going to give you a couple minutes to kind of pray and reflect and do a little time with Jesus. Our ushers are going to come forward and hand out the elements to you. Uh, we'd ask you to take the bread and take the cup and hold it, and then together we'll take communion like a great big family together. So we're going to give you a minute to have some quiet time, and then we'll come back together and we'll take communion together.
Paul gives us instructions for communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we do come before you in the great name of Jesus. And God, we thank you that you are a promise maker and a promise keeper. God, help us. No matter what we're going through, whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley, God, help us to know that you love us and that you're with us and your best for us is always found in Jesus. And God, we thank you that Jesus did come and that he did die and that he did rise again so that we might be loved by you, forgiven by you, that we could become your sons and your daughters and that we could live today with purpose knowing you, loving you, anticipating the day that we see you face to face and we'll spend all of eternity with you made new because of Jesus. God, I pray that you would just continue to call us and that we would continue to respond to you and that we'd continue to discover who you are and what you've done and we would live our lives passionately pursuing you because you first pursued us. Jesus, in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, hey, we're also going to receive an offering this morning. Uh, if you're new or visiting, we don't want anything from you. That's not our intention this morning. Uh, what we really desire is something for you, that you'd be, have a place where you could get to know some people and get connected to make some friends and to also grow in your walk with Jesus. And so if you're new or visiting, all we'd ask of you is maybe that you'd fill out that communication card and drop it in the offering plate as it goes past. If you feel led to give, you definitely can. Uh, but giving is part of our testimony. It's part of our worship. It's part of the way that uh, we respond to Jesus when he says that we can love God, but not God and money. And so our giving is one of the ways that we tell our money that it worships God because we worship God. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and receive the offering this morning.
ahead and take a seat. Uh, so here comes the grilled burrito stuffed portion of our service, because we're not done yet, church. I told you to strap in. Hey, we're going to do two things this morning that, that really kind of reflect what we're, we're talking about, that uh, God makes the promises to us, and, and this one has to do with uh, God makes us into a family. Uh, what we're going to do today is, uh, we, we, what we do at our church, Redemption Church, is we do child dedications. Uh, and so we don't do child baptism because we believe baptism is a response after someone uh, believes in Jesus and is saved by them, that then the next step is baptism. Uh, but what we do believe is that children are one of the greatest gifts uh, that God gives to husbands and wives. In fact, the, the scripture says that children are a gift from God. They're a blessing from the Lord. They're an inheritance from the Lord. My favorite is scripture says that children are like an arrow in the hands of a warrior, uh, which I think puts a little pressure on parents because if they miss the mark, it's our fault, not their fault. I mean, I'm just saying that's what the scripture says. Uh, and we're also told in 1 Samuel 1 that Hannah presented her son Samuel to the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, verse 22, Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus uh, to, to the temple in Jerusalem in order to present him before the Lord. We, we see throughout the Gospels uh, that people would bring little children and babies to Jesus so he might bless them and place his hands on them and pray for them. Uh, in the same way today, John and Aurora are going to bring their daughter Ren before us, presenting themselves and then Ren before the Lord, which she's really excited about. Like, it was all good until I'm like, you guys are, are going up. In fact, why don't you guys come up and you stand uh, right here next to me because people would rather look at you than, than me anyway. You know, like, uh, you guys take the cuteness to the next level. This is John and Aurora and little baby Ren. Hey, Ren. In fact, what the scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 to 7, it says, Hear, O Israel, that the Lord your God, the Lord is one, that you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you with today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you should talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And so in many ways, we're, we're dedicating baby Wren, but maybe in the same way, this is, uh, as much as we call it child dedication, it's parent dedication, uh, that we want to dedicate you guys as people who love Jesus, who have given your life to him, and you want to raise your child in such a way uh, that you would teach them as you go, when you rise, when you lay down, who Jesus is, and that you'd give little Ren an opportunity to know who Jesus is, is the center of your home. So guys, I got a couple questions for you, uh, which we, we talked about. Uh, so I'm going to ask you this first one, and you can just respond, yeah, like it's not a dissertation, we don't need a paragraph, just a simple yes, we'll be all right. So have you placed your trust in Christ as your Savior, and are you committed to following him as your Lord? Do you recognize that little Ren is a child, she's a gift from God, and that you're responsible to train and to instruct her in the things of the Lord? Yes. Awesome. Do you this day as parents pledge that you will bring her up in the ways of the Lord? Yes. Awesome. Now church, this is one for you, because we believe life is a journey, we believe parenting is a journey, and it takes a village. So church, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you agree, I'm going to ask you very loudly to respond to a yes, because if you're a parent, uh, you're, there's days and times that you wonder what in the world you got yourself into. And this moment, I hope, will be a courage builder, a reminder that John and Aurora are never alone. So church, do you agree to love and to support and to walk alongside this family on their spiritual journey? Yes. yes. Guys, let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus... God, we pray for John and Aurora and little Ren. God, we pray that they would be strengthened through the power of your Holy Spirit, that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Bless them, Father, that we pray today that you would be with them. God, that you would give them grace and understanding that they could lead Ren to you through their lives and their actions. God, we pray that you would protect their family. God, that you would continually give them strength and grace. God, we thank you for the decision they've made today, and we ask that you would be with them. And I pray that you would remind them that you are always with them, and they have a church family that are always with them, God. And we look forward to seeing what you'll do in their lives. We look forward to seeing what you'll do in the life of Ren as we commit this family to you today in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, thank you, guys. We love you. We don't, like, hold the babies in the air like Simba or anything. Uh, I've seen people do that. There you go. You can do that. But, yeah, that's great. 
And so I'm gonna, so I'm gonna have John. You can stay. Okay. You can stay. And uh, we love you guys here. Family hug. We're coming in. <laughs> Somebody should tweet this. All right. Okay. So, so the other thing we're gonna do today is I'm gonna give John a microphone, uh, which four months ago, did you ever think a pastor would call you on stage and give you a microphone? No, I never. Okay. There, there we go. I really did. So what we're going to do is uh, John is going to get baptized today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a little talk with John, and then we're going to all go outside uh, where we have a beautiful horse trough with ice-cold water, <laughs> yes, yes. and we are going to dunk you because yes. that's what Jesus did. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great. Uh, but you get a T-shirt. Yeah, you get a T-shirt, so it'll be great. So uh, what we thought we would do is, uh, John is a great guy. He and I have been able to spend time together. We've had yeah. some, some meal time together, some coffee time. And uh, what I want to do is just give you an opportunity to get to know John like, like I do. So don't look at this as an interview. We'll just kind of okay. look at We'll just look at it like we're having coffee okay. with a few of our closest <laughs> friends. Okay? So, awesome. so John, why don't you uh, tell us just a, a little bit about yourself? <clears throat> well, I, I grew up in Chicago um, near Midway Airport. Um, went to the Marines. I was in the Marines for eight years. Um, after I got out of the Marine Corps, I worked the trades for a while. And um, I went into, recently, into security. But um, that just happened like a couple weeks ago. Uh, uh, in the last uh, uh, six months, we've had some really rough times. So, and I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I'm married to Aurora and got my wonderful daughter, Ren. Yeah, so you had mentioned that there had been some difficult times. Why don't yes. you give us a little bit of a picture of like how you came to know Christ or maybe some of the events that kind of led up to that decision for you. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, um, I guess uh, <laughs> it's, it's been like 15 years of a culmination of what has came to be. So um, I left the war about 18. Um, pretty much I was in constant combat tours up until I was about 27, uh, 28. Loved it, but it also came with a lot of um, a lot of baggage, um, a lot of uh, uh, stuff that kind of ate away at your soul. And a lot of guys come back with that, you know. Um, uh, soldier's heart, PTSD, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But it's like a black hole in my heart. So when I was younger, I filled it with alcohol, sleeping around, partying, just drugs sometimes too. So uh, I was definitely an alcoholic, you know, <laughs> for a long time. And, but most of the guys I served for was too, so. We're all in that alcoholic boat together, you know, which it was sailing into a brick wall. <laughs> so um, over the course of all that time, um, I, I, nothing filled that hole. Nothing did. And um, after I stopped doing those things and I met Aurora, I tried really hard to fill, like have that hole filled and never did. Even though I was married to my wonderful wife, who I love dearly. And uh, until about four months ago, um, we had a complete, like, total breakdown of everything. Lost my job. Um, our, our son, we lost our son to Trisomy 13, um, which was really, really hard. It was just complete, like, crash. And, uh, and uh, it's like when you're broken down to your knees, you know, you have nowhere else to go. Both of us were in that position. And um, things just start happening. Boom, 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 boom. Like, um, the Fast family and the Wallace family took us in. Um, totally changed our lives completely. Really did. So that whole, like, um, when I met Jesus and uh, I was saved, just was filled like that. Boom. My fears, my anxieties, all that stuff was just gone. You know, and I can't really, you know, say that. But so it's God has brought us to the Fast family, to the Wallaces, and um, that is something that I don't doubt at all. Like, I'm, I'm a person who's got to see stuff. You know, I got to see it. I got to feel it to understand it. You know, um, and I can't really, exp I know in my stomach that Jesus and God has guided me here without a doubt in my mind, like, no question. Which is strange for me, you know? I'm like, I can't see him or feel him, but I know he's worked through here. And, um, you know, um, I was saved and uh, through some real personal experiences that I can't explain, but I can't explain now with the guidance of Adam and Jay and Lynn and Keith and Caleb, you know, he's helped a lot too. So, yeah, I'm just really grateful. Totally changed my life in a 
totally different projection than I ever thought in my life. Yeah, praise God, and it's man. and it's great, man. Hey, when we when we met earlier this week, we, yeah. you, you were telling me there were kind of two big things that kind of led to that tipping point. Uh, one was you started talking to God. Yeah. And he started responding. Yes. And then yes. Tell, tell us the story about uh, Stephanie was praying. Yeah. That yeah. somebody would just speak to you that would kind of, you would like respect them. They could talk on, on your terms. And mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us how that happened? So I didn't have a job. Okay. <laughs> Stephanie or Keith and Lynn took us in and didn't have a job. And I found a way to make money by going to the VA and they'd hook me up to these brain things. And they would ask me weird questions and do a bunch of stuff that I had to do at war. Let's see how my brain worked, you know, like a guinea pig, you know. And so, 1500 bucks, okay, sure. You got it, I'm there. So, um, I was on my way Monday morning, Jesse Brown, down on, down on the loop. And um, I was like, you know what? You know, Jesus, I, I, I kind of know about Jesus. I kind of don't, what, you know. And Jay told me, he's like, check out Case for Christ when you get a minute. And I said, okay, sure, all right. And, like, I started watching and I was like, it just really started to impact me. Like, nothing's really impacted me before. It was really strange. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. You know, this is, this is real. This is all real. And right as soon as I put down the phone, there was nobody in the hospital, nothing. A man come walking up, sat right down next to me. He was wearing a white Marine hat. And uh, he, was, he was in Vietnam. And he fought through Quezon in some really bad battles. And we talked and stuff. And uh, come to find out he was a pastor. And he started explaining to me, about God and how, what it is to be a soldier coming home. And uh, the interesting part about him, he's African-American, and he was brought up Jewish. <laughs> yeah, Jewish. And uh, he, after he came back from Vietnam, he found Christ and became a pastor, and he dedicated his life to helping children and um, the projects. And uh, just really, I tried to look the guy up, and I can't find him. So, hey, maybe he served God, yeah. served his purpose. Yeah. But uh, I, it was interesting uh, to the... I was coming back, and I was walking, I was walking to doing something, and uh, Stephanie was getting in the car. I think she's taking you somewhere, Caleb. And, uh, <laughs> and I go, yeah, I, I had this experience. This man sat down right next to me, and it was a, I just it really just took a hold of me. I'm like, I'm like yeah, I uh, had a white Marine hat. I was in Vietnam and all that stuff. And she's like, yeah, I prayed for you last night that you'd meet somebody that, yeah, that would have an impact, like in a way That's a awesome. veteran would understand. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. you know? So the so, power of prayer. Yeah, yeah, power of prayer. So give us, give us real quick, just a sure. little snapshot. Just, you know, recently gave your life to Jesus, been walking yes. with him. What, what kind of difference has that made in your life? Um, well, actually, uh, about tonight, uh, with everything you're talking about, purpose and stuff, that's probably number, number one thing, purpose. Um, purpose to be, like, the pastor of my own house. That's for one. Um, to be the leader of my home. Um, to raise my daughter and to influence my wife. Um, through Jesus. So that's a big thing, purpose. Also, um, like I feel like I can grow with him, with a community. Because I think that was a big part a lot of guys face that when they come home for more is they don't have a, a, such a tight-knit group of people that understand them at a very like tight level. So I feel like now as a Christian, I've like, I have like at a, a level I can't really explain, sure. you know? I'm a part of a greater community, and I can grow with other people, yeah. um, which is really awesome. important to me. I can grow, and uh, it's like every day I'm finding new experiences and learning about God. Yeah. Like, I go running, and yeah. boom, hit something. Awesome. Like, what about earlier? You talked sure. about, you know, some of the uh, drinking, fear, anxiety, yeah. that kind of stuff. Has Jesus made a difference in that area of your life? Absolutely. Like, um, me and my wife, we drank quite a bit for a long time. Wine, we love wine a lot. And, well, we don't, we don't, we haven't, I think we had a glass of wine one time with dinner the other night because we were celebrating uh, our grandma's birthday. Um, but other than that, we, we don't touch any alcohol. We, like, we have no need to. That anxiety, that fear, it's gone. And um, all the guilt and stuff that I lived with, gone. Like, all gone. Like, it's like totally different person it's yeah. it's it's great and uh yeah it's awesome, man. awesome. well yeah. praise god man so what we're gonna Thanks. do is we're gonna pray for john real quick and then we're gonna go out and dunk him and so what nice. we're gonna do is we're gonna go out these doors we're gonna go right outside in fact can i have a couple guys go out we we put tables over the baptismal and if a couple guys would go out and take the baptismals out we just don't want like an angry raccoon right, or something right, in the right. bottom you know yeah. like 
Uh, and so you guys can go out and take the tables off. And then what we'll do is we'll go out. Uh, we're going to baptize John. He's going to change quick. You're going to put on a different shirt totally. real fast. Yep. Uh, so same John, different shirt. Uh, <laughs> and then we're going to dunk him, and then we're going to celebrate that, and we'll come back in, and there'll be some snacks and stuff so you can get to know some people and grab a bite to eat and that kind of stuff. But let me pray for you quick, if that's okay. Thank you. And then we will uh, head outside. Would you join me? Father, we thank you for your grace and your love. God, I thank you for the testimony of, of John this morning, willing to share uh, the struggles and his experiences. Lord, even though we, we just got a Reader's Digest version, a short summary, God, we're thankful for your grace. We thank you for your power, the way that you pursued John and got a hold of his heart and his life. God, I thank you that you've saved him, that you've made him a son, that he's now part of your army, that he has purpose and identity in you, Jesus, that you filled him with your Holy Spirit, and I thank you for this man who's on fire for you. I thank you for the way he's having conversations with people, and he wants to see more people come to know you, Jesus, the way he knows you. So we pray for a blessing upon his life and the life of his family. God, I pray today as he goes public with his faith, Lord, saying, hey, I've already been saved by Jesus, but I want everybody to know that I'm with Jesus and I follow Jesus, and I'm going to give him the rest of my life. God, we pray that this is a significant day for him and his faith journey, and we thank you that we get to walk alongside of God. We thank you that we get to be encouraged by his story, that we get to see you, Jesus, on display. So you get all the honor. You get all the glory. We just thank you for the way you're working in John's life and his family's life, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we invite you to join us outside, but we're going to dunk this, brother. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.